It's all right, Carl. Occasionally I get off script as well. On Sunday nights, we are in this series called Unswerving. If you're a regular Sunday night attender, you understand what that's all about. If you're not here, if you're a guest, or if you just happen to be here tonight, let me give you a brief introduction to that. Our theme verse for this whole series comes from a verse in Hebrews, which says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. On Sunday nights, we're talking about faith and what that looks like in sometimes in characters and sometimes in specific circumstances that are happening as we're reading through the New Testament in the Northside 90-day uh, program. So if you're going through the reading, you may notice uh, one of these uh, stories. In fact, each week's story should be from that week's, the week previous, uh, the reading during that time. It was 11 years ago, January 23rd, in fact. 2005. It happened to be a Sunday. I just have that imprinted on my memory permanently because after church, I went to my great aunt's house, a little house there in South Wichita on Mabel Street, where she and her husband, who had already gone on to his reward, but where they lived for most of the time that I had grown up in Christ. I had been over to that little house many, many times, uh, Sunday morning after church. I would go over there and have dinner and usually uh, just kind of spend the afternoon there. And that house was where I learned a lot of spiritual lessons. The lesson that I would learn on January 23rd was one of those lessons. And that was the day that my great aunt would pass away. She would go from this life to the next, from, from this side of faith to the next. The family had said, you know, the time is nearing, and everyone's going to gather at the house and, and just say our last goodbyes, spend some time together as a family. So that's what I did basically most of the day. Christy was very pregnant. Tyler was very close. And so I felt a little uneasy, but she said, you know, she felt fine and go ahead and go. And uh, she was going to stay at the house in Valley Center and just rest and be preparing for that new addition to our family. So I was at the house, and as family was coming in and out, and we're all sharing our stories, and we go in to see Donna. Now, the house itself was very small, but there was a whole lot of love within those walls. Interesting story about that house. It was the house that they raised their family basically in, and then uh, they moved from that house, and then later on in their retirement years, they ended up purchasing that house again to come back and live. It was a whole lot of love. They didn't have a lot in terms of worldly possessions. Donna and Keith Licklider would not register on the on the headline of, of any newspaper, and, and there were no news stories in their passing. But the legacy that they left to me is why I'm here tonight. That day was very hard. When you have someone who leaves a deep uh, impression about what it means to follow Christ what it means to live Christ. 
I know a Christian funeral is one to be a one of celebration and joy. But it was hard. Because for a long time they had guided me and walked with me and I could still take you to the day uh, to the very place uh, today even at the Emporia Avenue congregation where they would sit and I would sit beside them and that's where I cut my teeth spiritually speaking and so to be in Donna's house knowing that this would be probably our last moment together and we talked and we shared memories that I can't share with you because I won't make it through the sermon. But I can tell you that that day sticks in my mind partially because of the impression of their life and partially because it was such a big changing point. The next, very next day, Grace, or, let me get my family members straight here, Christy would give birth to our son. And when I left the house that afternoon and I came to do what we're doing tonight, as I pulled into the parking lot, a song came on the radio. I was listening to Christian radio. I'm going to read the lyrics of that song. You probably know it if you've listened to any contemporary Christian music. I can only imagine what it will be like when I walk by your side. I can only imagine what my eyes will see when your face is before me. I can only imagine. Surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus, or in awe of you be still? Will I stand in your presence, or to my knees will I bow? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I even be able to speak at all? I can only imagine. I can only imagine when that day comes. When I find myself standing in the sun. I can only imagine when all I will do is forever, forever worship you. I can only imagine. Tonight... I want you to imagine with me about what that day will be like and about the time between today and that day. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 21. This will be our text. Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 21. Paul writes these words to his beloved church at Philippi. Not that I have already obtained this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. 
And if on some point you think differently, then that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Verse 18. For as I have often told you before, and now tell you again with tears, many live as the enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is their destruction. Their God, their stomach, and their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there. The Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. I love to think about heaven and talk about heaven. Hard though it is to lose those we love, although it's really not a loss, it's just a temporary displacement. But if we have to get from here where we are to heaven where our home is, the Bible tells us how we do that, how we mature in Christ, how we grow up and move forward. So we're going to talk about that very briefly tonight. Number one, you have to press forward from the past. And this is kind of focusing in on verses 12 and 14. You need to remember that pressing forward is important because you have to realize where you are right now is not where God wants you to be. Oh, may he may have brought you to this point to bring you where he needs you to be. But pressing forward means understanding that your journey is not done. He loves everyone, just as I am, as the old song goes. But he loves you too much to leave you there. His goal is that you might grow. That day, that Monday morning, when Christy said, it's time to go, and we went, and and I held my son, I could not have been filled with more love and joy And yet for as much as I love him, and as much as I desire to help him grow, it is not my desire that he stay with me forever. I need him to grow, to mature, to to leave the nest. I need that for grace as well. No good parent wants their child to stay where they are forever. When Jesus called his disciples, none of them, none of them were even close to the men who would lead a worldwide movement. Can you imagine Peter, an ordinary, common, blue-collar fisherman with a swearing problem? And Jesus was going to use him to preach the first gospel sermon. How could he do this? I think it appropriate to remember that Jesus, by trade, was a carpenter. A carpenter does this all the time. 
good carpenters select the raw lumber and they take the raw materials and they take something that isn't and they cut it and they shape it and they plane it and they smooth it and they join it together and they sand it and they polish it until finally it is what the carpenter had in mind. It's the same with you and I. And God's still working on you, and he's farther along with some than others. But as long as you're living, as long as you're breathing, he's not done with you yet. You've got to press forward, which means not only realizing that where you are is not the end, but it also means not dwelling on what is behind you. Paul's past contained a lot of success and a lot of failure. He saw himself through that lens a lot. Turn with me in some pages of Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He's talking about the resurrection. Even in, in, in view of that wonderful topic in 1 Corinthians 15, here's what he says of himself. For I am the least of the apostles, do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. I know there are some people who have quite a past. Maybe you're one of those people. God doesn't want you to dwell on that forever. He needs you to press forward. And you have to trust that his grace is sufficient and not without effect. Here's what Paul would say of the good things in his life. Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 8. Though I myself have reasons for confidence, if someone thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. And he starts to list his credentials here, his resume. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness, righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. So pressing forward means growing up. It means letting go of the past. Whether that be the good, the bad, or the ugly, God needs you to move forward from where you are. God needs you to grow he needs you to grow up, and he needs you to grow forward as well. Secondly, pressing for, uh, pressing on means we need to press onward toward the goal. This is focusing on Philippi, I'm sorry, verses 15 through 19 of our text tonight. He's talking about pressing on. He says, all of us then who are mature should take a view, such a view of things. What, what, what kind of view is he talking about? I think to me it's just a matter of perspective. Having worked with the younger and the older, I think the difference there is the wisdom of perspective. 
younger people tend not to have the wisdom of the years because they haven't had the years. They haven't had the trials of life to know that this too will pass. But as we get older, we gain perspective. We gain or should gain a maturity first in our thinking. In Colossians chapter 3, 2, Paul says this, Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. It is easy to get caught up in what's right in front of us. But the longer we're alive, the, the, the farther back we get, the wider our perspective and understanding becomes. Paul said, in speaking about love as a spiritual gift, he said this, When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. Our world values youth, energy. At one time in our culture, you might have heard the adage, don't trust anyone over 30. The Bible speaks quite differently, in fact. The Bible says that we ought to honor our elders. We ought to honor those who have lived longer than us, especially. Because hopefully, if they've matured physically, then they've matured intellectually in their thinking. And their wisdom, is what the Bible calls it, will be a blessing to us if we'll pay attention. So we have to seek good examples. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, Paul said, Follow me as I follow the example of Christ. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7 says, Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Um, I know this will be embarrassing. Some will not want to do it, but I'll ask anyway of our elders. If you are one of our elders, current, or you have been one in the past, would you please stand? Uh, That's very important. I I know you understand the role of these men, either past or current, but one of the reasons that God puts men like these in our path is exactly what the Hebrew writer says. Remember them. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. God doesn't leave us alone in this journey of faith. He puts people in front of us. And one of the very wonderful blessings we have are our elders. Thank you, gentlemen. So set a good example, find a good example, and make sure you are one yourself. Here's what Paul told Titus. In everything, set them example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed Because they have nothing bad to say about us. This Friday uh, was at a, I'm sorry, this past Thursday, I was at a furniture store. They were having an appliance store. Good grief, losing my mind. I was in an appliance store looking at some appliances. As I was gazing at one in particular, a woman came to my right and she said, Toby? I looked around and I didn't recognize her. 
But that didn't mean anything. It could have been a Northsider. <laughs> said, I'm sorry. I maybe should know your name, but I don't. She said, oh, you wouldn't know me. I just wanted to tell you we very much enjoy the Know Your Bible program. Well, that's not the first time that's happened to me or Steve. It happens often. Um, so I, I told her I couldn't sign a picture right there. I didn't have it with me. But as often happens when someone introduces themselves to me, I ask myself the question, number one, how long were they watching? Number two, who has seen me that didn't introduce themselves? And number three, what impression did I leave? Well, you may not have that experience because you're not on television, but... If you're a Christian and you've professed faith in Christ, someone is watching you, and you don't even know it. So take seriously your example as you press on toward the goal. And thirdly, we have to press upward toward our home. Verses 20 and 21, I'll read again. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. The most important thing we do in this thought is remember where our real home is. I know in politics these days there's a lot of talk about citizenship where you're from. Christians ought to not hold too tightly to their citizenship in this world. I'm not saying it's not important. Don't misunderstand me. I'm just saying that the longer we're here, the more distant this world should feel, whatever country we reside in. You can... You know this from your personal experience. If you've ever been traveling or visiting or you've had to go to the hospital, you just, there is just a sense that I just want to be home. I've visited so many people in the hospital or a nursing home that said, I just want to be in my own home. I understand that. I think you do too. As Christians, the, the closer we get toward our home, that ought to be our attitude as well. I've seen many beloved saints that have said, this world holds nothing for me anymore. They were ready to go home. Aunt Donna was ready. Oh, it was hard to see her go, but we understood. She didn't belong here. And for you and I, when we get distracted, when we behave as we shouldn't, when we're immature in our thinking, when we act in an unbecoming way or in a fleshly manner, most often the reason is we forget where we're from. We forget where our home really is. I'm tired of watching the news, I'm tired of politics. The more I see it, the more tired I am of this world. 
someone asked me, sent me a message on Facebook, friends of ours from another state, saw the Kansas caucuses were happening. And I simply replied, I don't have a dog in this fight. I don't know where that came from. Maybe it's just I'm maturing in my thinking. Or maybe I'm ready to go home. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This is what Paul said. For we know, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 1, sorry. We know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. When we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, he's talking about our bodies, he says we groan and are burdened and do not wish to, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. I've done just a few backyard camping excursions and a couple to Lake Cheney with my son. And I've done enough camping in a tent to know that I hate camping in tents. I really hate camping because everything about camping is designed to be temporary. Nothing about it is designed to be permanent. And this is what Paul says. If your body is falling apart, you've got to remember that it's a tent. It's not made for permanent residence. And someday, at a point where you don't know, it will be time to roll up that tent and go home. And we are given the Spirit who guarantees that we have a better home. I love this in Acts chapter 1, verse 11. The angel says, Men of Galilee, why do you stand there looking in the, into the sky? This same Jesus who has taken you from, been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. I'm not sure when that day will come when your tent will be rolled up or maybe Jesus will return and call you from there. But one way or the other, we've got to keep pressing on toward home. You're not at the goal yet, but you will be, especially if you're in Christ. We need to keep the goal in mind. Turn to Revelation chapter 21, and we'll just finish with this. Revelation chapter 21, here's John's vision. of what we will call home someday. Then I saw heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband.
Now, the technical, theological understanding here is that whatever heaven is, it's going to be amazing. If you're married, you can remember back to your wedding day. Husbands, specifically, there was that moment when you stood there and they opened the doors and there was your bride. And you were just slack-jawed and dumbfounded. Wow! Look at her. In all her radiance and beauty and glory and everything, you were so full of excitement and joy for what? What was to come in your marriage? This is what God says heaven will be like. You're going to see that beautiful city and you're just going to be amazed. Wow. And I can't tell you from personal experience, but wives, I hope you felt that way about your husband as well. Verse 3, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be with and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes. I hope you write that down. He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. It's such a beautiful picture. Imagine what it will be like. If you would, just for a moment, close your eyes. Some of you, thankfully, are already there. Close your eyes and just imagine, as the song we alluded to, what it will be like to see that first glimpse of a holy celestial city. What it will be like to dwell with God. Where he will walk with us and we with him. Where we will be his people. Where we will have identity and security. Totally and completely in him. In a beautiful city where there is no darkness. Or fear or sadness or dismay. Or doubt or suffering or mourning, or crying, or pain, or death. All things are new. Ah, it's going to be an amazing place. Let us not lose sight of it. Let us press forward, let us press onward, and let us press upward toward the goal. If we keep our focus on the right things, what we imagined will be a reality someday. If you are not ready to face eternity, if you're not ready to step into the world beyond, then I want to invite you tonight so that we can tell you about Jesus, 
If you're ready, we'll baptize you into Jesus so that you can begin that journey toward your home. Whatever your need is tonight, please come. We'd love to help you and pray with you and for you as together we stand and sing.